This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, you all re- remembered to come here today, and you all remembered how to get here, and you all have plans for what you're going to do after this meeting is over and labor today, because that's what it's all about. Our, our world is a world of memories. Uh, we are our memories. Uh, we think about memory often about the past, but memory is really about the future because it enables us to use information that you gain in order to get along in life, and that's what it's all about. Well, I'm going to talk about some people for whom the future is not terribly important, but the past is awfully important, unusual people indeed. So there is the question of the very famous uh, psychologist, maybe the founder of modern psychology, William James, who said, of some experiences, no memory survives the instance of their passage. Of others, it is confined to a few moments, hours or days. Others may be recalled as long as life endures. Can we explain these differences? Why is it that, that you can remember right now exactly what I said, even with the intonation, you could mimic me, And tomorrow, you're going to remember that there was a meeting that you came to, and you're going to remember a few elements. Well, I'm going to... It's not like that for all people. There was a man named Daniel McCartney, about whom an article was published in the Journal of Speculating Philosophy. You probably subscribe to that journal, Journal of Speculating Philosophy, which I had never heard of until uh, somebody drew my attention to this. Um, who was um, tested in 1870 uh, by a a man who discovered that this individual claimed that he had a very strong memory of his personal experiences. So when he was uh, 54 years old in 1870, he was asked a lot of questions about his life, going back many, many years, back actually to the age of four years old. And... um, He responded in every case to the questions in two or three seconds. The the test was repeated several days later, and he responded with the same answers but not using the same words. That is, he he knew what what he could remember, but he used different words to say it. So what happened on um, October 8, 1828, Wednesday was cloudy and drizzling and rain. I carried dinner to my father where he was getting out coal. That was 42 years ago. Um, Let me run down. Let's take uh, April 4th, 1841. He answered in three seconds. It was a Sunday. It was rainy and muddy. General Harrison died that day. February 2nd, 1856. Two-second response. Saturday was most awful cold. It was the coldest day I ever see in my life. Records for Iowa February 4th indicated the coldest day in 1856. Now, that's the bottom. That's my interrogation because all of these are, are claims that people make, and you could make them up. You know, uh, what did you do in uh, uh, June 12th, 1993? And you could say, oh, I went shopping that day. I had a fight with my boyfriend or whatever. <laughs> and I wouldn't know whether that's true or not. So uh, to my uh, the limited ability that I had, I looked up the records for things that he said when he said it snowed or it rained. Um, on the day that he said it was a heavy snow, that was the heaviest day of sh- snowing in Iowa that year. On the day that it rained, uh, it was within two days of the date that he gave. So to the extent 
that we can validate these claims. Uh, they appear to be accurate. He appears to have a phenomenal memory of his personal experiences. But not a lot is known about him. I'm just reporting what was reported in that rather obscure journal. Now, I didn't know anything about him. I had never read that article. As a matter of fact, that article was sent to me by a wag who, who, after we started publishing our work on highly superior autobiographical memory, said essentially, he said, yeah, 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 you didn't know about this, you know. And he sent me the article uh, from this journal that I do not subscribe to. <laughs> and I haven't, I haven't found it on PubMed. Um, so in 2000, a young woman, a 32-year-old named Jill Price, sent me an email and um, said she had a memory problem and would like to meet me. Well, I wrote back to her and said, this is a research institute, not a clinic, but I can direct you to it. What would you think when somebody said, I have a memory problem? <laughs> right? Well, she said, oh, no, no, that's not it. My, my memory problem is that I don't forget. So uh, I decided to meet with her. I, pro- I really thought that, it was, that she probably didn't. I really did think this was a very strange behavior, but I agreed to meet with her. And... Um, I, uh, when she came, since we have never seen anybody like that or tested, I didn't know what to do. So I had been given for uh, Christmas, this is 2000, and I had been given a coffee table book, which is about this thick, which is um, newspaper uh, reports uh, for every day in the last century. You may have seen them. They were around in that time. And so all I did was open that book and ask her questions. I turned to a page and uh, which was uh, after the age of 13, because she said that's when she began to have this ability. And I questioned her. And these are the kinds of of things that I ask. I ask about an event. I said, when was there a uh, major San Diego plane crash? How many of you remember the plane crash in September 25th, 1978? How many of you would have remembered the date if I hadn't said that? All right. Uh, When did the Persian Gulf War start? Wednesday, January 1691, and so on down the line. The one at the bottom I want to draw your attention to, I asked her when was the Iranian invasion of the U.S. Embassy, and um, she said November 4th, 1979. And I was looking at the article right in front of me, and I said, well, you have it pretty close. You're several days off. And she said, no, 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 this is the date. And I said, well, it's written here right in the book. And she said, oh, well, the book is wrong. Well, it turns out that I was looking at the date of the article that was written, and down in the body of the article was the true, the the valid uh, time, which is November 4th, 1979. But it was her assurance that was important, that the book was wrong, she said. Now, we also, or I also asked her about um, dates. I gave her a date, and she had to tell me what happened on that date. So August 16th, 1977. Uh, Elvis uh, died. Uh, let's go down November 4th, 1979, and ra- that's right, the Iranian invasion of the U.S. Embassy. October 5th, um, 1983, uh, bombing in Beirut, Northridge earthquake, and Lockerbie plane crash. And so these are all accurate. These are her responses. And I'm looking at the book. So I knew the, the answers, but I knew them because I was looking at them. Now, uh, we, we, we can't take these statements um, uh, as being valid. As a matter of fact, uh, she says that she remembers being in, in a crib uh, when she was an infant. Well, 
I'm not going to accept that. We have no way of validating. And, and besides that, plenty of people uh, see videos of themselves in cribs or pictures of themselves. And so uh, that's not going to do the job. We have to validate it. So uh, fortunately, in her case, she kept a diary for many years of her life. And whenever she, ever she made a claim, we were able to untie a little pink ribbon that was tied around this little book that she had, and lots of books, a stack like that, open it up and see if what she said about it uh, was accurate. Uh, at one time, uh, we asked her to give us the, uh, the dates of the last uh, 20 Easter's. How many of you remember the date of the last Easter? <laughs> Well, she told us the, the date of the last 20 Easter's. She also told us without asking what she did on each of those dates. And we could check that out because we're able to peek into her diaries and validate some of that uh, information. Now, I'm going to show you some um, other subjects. Let me, I have to say that we, we got a little publicity uh, uh, inadvertently sort of uh, we went on NPR, disguised her name, had been talked about this a little bit, and then a little bit of a newspaper publicity. So we be- began to get subjects. And uh, by the time uh, uh, 2010 rolled around, uh, we had five subjects. Now, uh, they were filmed by, um, uh, on 60 Minutes on December 19, 2010, and that was a Sunday. It's health is helpful that 60 Minutes is always on a Sunday. That's this little clue. I did. I did. Uh, oh, well, I'll go on. I don't. I don't want to show off anymore. Um, so I'm going to show you uh, a, a clips from um, uh, TV programs uh, in which we had this. The first one is Louise Owen, who is a professional violinist in New York, a very high-level violinist, uh, appears frequently. Uh, both uh, in groups and also uh, solos, and, and is a really very charming person. So I'll show you her first. McGaw says this type of memory is completely new to science, so he and his colleagues have had to devise their own tests, like this one on public events. October 19th, 1987. It's a Monday. Uh, that was the day the big stock market crash, and the cellist Jacqueline Dupre died that day. The Berlin Wall falls on what day? Uh, November 9th, 1989, which was a Thursday. Christopher Reeve's accident occurred on what day? Uh, It was Saturday, May 27th, uh, 1995. And when were the Oscars held in 1999? In 1999. Sunday, March 21st. Yes. Perfect. Note that she didn't say, give me a moment, I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) She describes it as a Google search. And when she talks about it, she uses expression. She says, it's just there. It just comes up like that. And you can see the ease with which she did it, the smile on her face, and the speed of response, uh, responding within a second or two. It's right there. Let's move back in time now to uh, 1990. It rained on several days in January and February. Can you name the dates on which it rained? Mm. Um. <laughs> Believe it or not, she could. Let's see. It was slightly rainy and cloudy on January 14th, 15th. It was very hot the weekend of the 27th, 28th. No rain. 
We check the official weather records. It rained very hard on Sunday, February 4th. And she was right. All right, that was 20 years ago. Uh, from the time that I asked her, I was asking her, when did it rain in New York City? 20 years ago in January, February, and she nailed every day. Now, this is important because for many of the other examples that I've shown, people could memorize. That is, if you set your mind to it, you could memorize things and you spend all of your time memorizing experiences like learning a list of words or whatever, I suppose. I chose this example because it's highly unlikely, unless you want to challenge me on this, that she sat around for 20 years saying, I must remember the days in which it rained in New York on those two months. Now, we have also, uh, by luck, uh, found several children who have this ability. And this is important also because of the uh, possible interpretation that these people have the ability because they spend a lot of time rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. Uh, children don't have much time to do that. So I'm going to show you a couple of uh, fairly young children who have ability which is just as good as our adults. Counselor, age 10. What day of the week was Halloween 2011? Monday. That one I didn't even have to think about. New Year's Day 2010. Uh, Friday. Friday. I remember that because I was up all night at the Blues game. <laughs> That's when Jake was six. He lives in St. Louis, loves sports, and he is, in most respects, a typical 10-year-old. What happened, related to school, on January 30th, 2013? That day, I'm pretty sure... Oh, wait. That's a trick question. We didn't have school that day. <laughs> there was a huge lightning storm that last night. And we're like, hey, we didn't have school that day. How's your day, Jake? 7th, 2012. Do you know what day of the week that was? That was a Sunday. You're right. There is exactly one child in the world other than Jake who's been identified so far with this ability, 11-year-old Tyler Hickenbottom. And in a fortuitous coincidence, Tyler happens to be an identical twin. He and his brother Chad share the same genes. Yeah, I think I might have worn an orange shirt. But surprisingly, not the same memory. No, that was in 2012 when... <laughs> Life can be tough. Um, this is very interesting. Uh, we are doing genetic studies now, are collaborating in genetic studies, and the first thing we want to find out is, are they really identical twins? The parents claim that they are, and we're going to recheck uh, that. Once again, the reason for the interest in children is because we want to find out the, the age at which this is first recognized by children, uh, we have younger children now who are 10 years old who have the ability going back to the age of five and a little bit earlier than that. So this is not a, um, an ability which is acquired later in life. It appears fairly early on. How early, we don't yet know. Now here is a distribution of the, um, of the ability of people who have what we call HSAM or highly superior autobiographical memory. And uh, on the right, 
um, in the white and blue, you see the distribution of the percent correct on a 30-question quiz of the kind that I've already uh, talked about, ranging from, um, let's say, 35% correct up to 75% correct. On the left in orange, you see controls, age and sex match controls. Uh, and you can see that this is not, this ability is not the end of an extreme end of a normal distribution. It is a different distribution. Also, you can see some white on the left mixed with the orange. These are people who claimed that they had the ability and were just like controls. If you look on the far left, there are four people who claim they had the ability and they are worse than controls. <laughs> We gave um, the best of those a 10-day quiz asking uh, for 10 dates that we selected, the day of the week, a verifiable event that happened on that day, an autobiographical event which we did not check, but they claimed it was autobiographical. And what you can see is in the blue are the people that have this ability, and the orange are us. And you can see that uh, they get about 14% correct on day of the week, which is uh, one out of seven, by the way. Uh, they uh, have no verifiable event, and see, so you can see they're quite different. Uh, we also gave them an autobiographical memory test, and here they, we validated. We asked them the first day at university, first day at elementary school, so on down the list that you can see, and we've actually got all of the data to support all of that. Our HSAM subjects gave 145 verified details. Controls gave a total of 24 details, which we did not bother to verify. <laughs> All right, here are some characteristics. These uh, folks are highly accurate in autobiographical remembering. They are not at all exceptional in learning and laboratory tests. We've done a lot of, of uh, experimental psychology types of tests with them, and they're absolutely, on average, normal. One thing that is of interest, they also shine signs of compulsiveness, and they show some differences in brain regions. I'll show you quickly here. Here's a region of the uncinate fasciculus, which is a fiber pathway that goes from the temporal lobe up to the frontal lobes, and this is more um, uh, obvious in, uh, in MRI, structural MRI. It's also a region that is found to be deficient in people who have highly deficient autobiographical memory. Uh, the parahippocampal gyrus, which is not too much of a surprise because that region has been implicated in memory and also found in people who have strong memory of other kinds. And the lentiform nucleus, which is in the region of the, of the caudate nucleus, which has, uh, some studies have shown to be uh, significant, um, significantly observed in people who have um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, and all of our people score highly on obsessive-compulsive tests, and they also dis display obsessiveness, germ avoidance, uh, and other things. I have a time I could tell you some very interesting things about what they avoid. So here are some important questions. Um, first, what insights can we learn about memory? Is it strong storage of information, or is it exceptional retrieval? We don't think it's simply exceptional retrieval because it's, it's exceptional retrieval of their own autobiographical experiences, not of other things. We even did an experiment in which we gave them some information and then they had a discussion with the experimenter and they were tested later on. They remembered everything that they said and nothing that the experimenter said. 
So it, it, it is all about them. Uh, is there uh, uh, involvement of ero- emotional arousal? Well, that's what I do for a living. That's my main research. And yet we have plenty of examples of them remembering pretty banal things. You saw the list uh, that I showed you. Uh, my favorite example is our first subject. I asked him if uh, I asked her if she knew who Bing Crosby was, and she said yes. She would have been very young, maybe in her teenage years. I said, "Do you know what happened to him?" And she said, "Oh yes, he died on a golf course in Spain." And she gave me the date and the day. And I said, "How did you know that?" She said, "Well, my mother was driving me to a, a soccer game, and the news came on over the radio." And she remembers that to this day. Um, is there a genetic basis? We are studying that at the present time. We don't know. Uh, neurobiological implications, I think this is the most important one, and this has been touched on already in this symposium. These, uh, these individuals not only can, can give us clues to understanding how their brain works in order to produce this, this really phenomenal uh, uh, memory uh, ability, but by understanding the neural underpinnings of this, we can get a greater understanding of how the brain processes memory. New insights can come from, from this um, uh, ultimately. And then uh, finally, why is this ability so rare? Uh, if memory is so important, I started off by saying it's our most important ability. Why is it that we are so poor in what we do? And in a certain way, they are better. William James said, uh, forgetting is as important a function as recollecting. If we remembered everything, we should be, on most occasions, as ill off as if we remembered nothing. These people remember an awful lot about, in a way, nothing. Uh, uh, Just trivial events, they remember it quite well. Uh, They are unremarkable in other respects. If they were here in the room, and there may be several people here, if you didn't ask memory questions, you would not be able to identify them. They remember for a long period of time, and we need to find out, and our research will continue to do that. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.